Hello everyone. Today, we're talking about compliance during the pandemic. Ahmed and I will be diving into effectively maintaining an effective compliance program during these times of COVID. Think Compliance, brought to you by Compliatric and Ahmed Salim. My name is Dagmar Austin. Happy to be co-hosting this podcast with you, Ahmed. Hey, Dagmar. Great to be back. Glad that we're starting this back up again. So just as a little clause for our new listeners, Think Compliance has created uh, this podcast in order to assist compliance professionals in building their program. During every podcast, we'll discuss new compliance issues Uh, provide insight into how to ensure your organization is following best practices. Now, it's important to note that the information provided in our podcast are the opinions of our presenters and should not be considered legal advice. If you have any questions, hit us up on Twitter at thinkcomply. So let's get started. Ahmed, tell um, tell me a little bit about where you are with your compliance program in your organization. It's actually interesting. I uh, started a new organization Um, Basically, I was brought in to help kind of implement and build out the existing compliance program. So essentially right before the pandemic hit, one of the main uh, goals and functions I was working on was uh, really just developing and um, working through our risk assessment. Um, And from that, really putting together our work plan based on the findings in our risk assessment. And I, I will I will say this, basically, uh, you know, I was fortunate enough to get the risk assessment done before we kind of shut down and started going remote because, you know, you talk to a lot of people within the industry, right? And, you know, I'm sure a number of people have done risk assessments over the years, you know, having those conversations and really meeting with stakeholders to really understand and identify gaps and concerns is a key component of risk assessment. And, you know, it, being in an organization is already difficult trying to identify who the stakeholders are you need to speak to for a risk assessment and doing it all remotely is even more challenging. So, um, you know, I thought it was a, a good timing for me to be able to do so. Like right before the pandemic, I'm glad you got that time in. Now, let's talk about program oversight. How do you maintain and develop a program oversight? Yeah, so this is, this is a challenge, right? So I've been talking to some colleagues throughout the country, um, specifically when it relates to like, what are you doing with compliance? And when we talk about program oversight, like we, we look at a few things, right? First and foremost, if you're in the organization, you have the compliance officer and, you know, title in position. But the second big thing is, you know, a mix of your compliance committee and reporting to the board of directors, right? So typically these are touch points that you've had in person. These are meetings that, you know, if you're fortunate enough, you're, you're able to get that time with these stakeholders. You know, I learned quickly when the shutdown happened and I was about to have my first compliance meeting that, you know, I had to, I had to make it virtual. And doing so meant that I had to really bring material and content that would not only incentivize individuals to come, but kind of keep individuals and stakeholders within my compliance committee and board meetings entertained as to the content I'm bringing, right? So as I mentioned before, new program brings new information. And, you know, a lot of things are changing within the organization. 
in all organizations throughout the country. So kind of finding that balance on what I need to do to kind of keep these stakeholders involved in the compliance committee. And that, that I felt was the, the most challenging part when I, when I look at my program, the program oversight. Were there any challenges associated with the new processes being brought forward as far as people, process, technology? Yeah, and that, that's a good question. And that it kind of goes to, you know, with the program oversight and developing these, these meetings, right? First and foremost, looking at the people, right? Speaking to the stakeholders and identifying what it is that they wanted to see out of these meetings, right? Uh, everyone had now gone to remote meetings, which meant everyone's calendars were booked. Every meeting went from, you know, normal meetings were, okay, make sure your meeting is, you know, important and necessary to every time you hold a meeting now, people are looking at you to make sure that you're utilizing their time, right? So that was a big step, contacting every stakeholder on the committee and just making sure that, you know, I had that connection and that dialogue with them to make sure I knew what they wanted and they knew what I was trying to look for. Process-wise, like I said, not only us, but every organization shifted to this new remote idea of Zoom or Skype or whatever your team, your organization is using, right? So that, that kind of helped, right? And that goes along with the technology. When everyone has changed and adapted, it made my life a lot easier. I think the important part was making sure that I utilize components of the technology to my benefit. And what I mean by that is typically it's harder to have conversation when you are sitting on a phone call, right? With the pandemic, you're seeing a lot more virtual meetings that require cameras. It's a lot easier to tune out a compliance meeting when people just dial in. It's a lot harder to tune out when people can see your face on a camera. So I think you're seeing some components of this, this new world we're seeing that's kind of helpful and beneficial, and you're able to kind of identify um, these individual characteristics to kind of help towards your program. Totally. Internally at Compliatric, I've seen, you know, when we have our cameras on, we're definitely much more engaged and with clients too. Let's talk about policies. So typically policies are online or are they online or in a repository? Any issues with policies? Yeah, so that's the good thing. So, uh, you know, as we look at this idea of the effective compliance program and we kind of walk through as we're doing right now, the seven elements, obviously we know some elements uh, have been less affected with the pandemic compared to others, right? I would say personally in our organization and other organizations um, you know, I've been at and colleagues I've spoken to during this time, policies have, have not really been too affected, right? Typically you're going to see you know, a central hub that houses your policies. Now, you're not gonna see many organizations nowadays that have binders of policies within like the administrative office. I think the only issue and cause of concern that, you know, compliance programs may have is the educational component, which, you know, I'm, we're going to get to in a second, but it's really making sure that people understand how to access these policies, because typically there's that water cooler opportunity, right? People have questions, they say you walking through the hallways, or they know that they're going to see you at like a standing meeting, they're going to know, hey, I'll ask Emma when I see him at that meeting. Well, that component is now done, right? People are kind of left out on their own to kind of search whatever repository system you have in place to identify the policies to answer their questions if they don't want to bring their questions directly to you. So I think repositories for policies, procedures are commonplace in today's industries. 
and organizations, I think the only concern would relate back to the next element, which would be training and education. Yeah, let's talk about how has your training plan uh, changed during this COVID era? It goes back to what element is affected and not affected by the pandemic. Training, I think, is one of those that's kind of a 50-50 split, right? Mm -hmm. So most organizations are utilizing some form of online training platform, right? Or sending a PowerPoint or something electronically to their stakeholders. That's usually for like your annual training. Right. A lot of organizations also have in-person orientation, right? So the in-person orientation typically allows compliance, the opportunity to get in front of new employees and really speak to like what compliance is. Now with the technology components in place, we're still able to do that, right? Depending on your organization, you know, you're probably doing an orientation via Zoom or Skype and people are getting that virtual introduction to you, but I personally don't think it's the same, right? There's not that same touch. You become 2D. There's not really that connection. And I think that is a gap that you're going to start seeing. And my concern is, um, you know, with the inability to really be in person and get that personal connection with employees, people are typically fearful of the compliance program. And we spend a lot of time training and working through to kind of build that bridge so people feel comfortable with us. And I haven't even started talking about the ad hoc trainings where you go to different departments or when you identify a trend or an issues within departments that you want to provide trainings to, right, in person. Um, you know, those have all kind of gone by the wayside as well, right? Because now you're talking about going back to the virtual front. So, um, you know, I've, I've tried to really work on training, but at the same time, I feel like the opportunities for these ad hoc or in-person meetings are limited compared to when we're all in person. And I think it's important that, you know, any compliance professional really works internally to find those opportunities. And even though Zoom may not be, I think, the best solution, we still have to find avenues to really get connected and make sure people, you know, know who we are and what issues they should bring and how comfortable they should be doing so. You mentioned fear around um, employees' understanding of compliatric or of uh, compliance where does, where does that fear come from? Everything we do, if it's not retaliatory, we may be watching. And, you know, that's our job as compliance professionals to really build a program that makes people feel comfortable and, and trust us, right? Our job isn't to uh, get people in trouble as much as people may think that, you know, if it's privacy and we're watching whatever they're accessing or if it's compliance and making sure that, like, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're bringing something against an individual for something they think is retaliatory. It's our job to build our program in a way that people feel comfortable bringing concerns to us, right? Mm -hmm. we, can, we can market a non-retaliation policy. We can, we can educate on the fact that it's a organization's policy to bring concerns that have been identified, right? But at the end of the day, it really depends on us as the compliance leaders within our organization to make people feel like it can actually bring issues without that, you know, uh, old adage of compliance and them coming out to get us. And, you know, that's a stigma that every compliance professional has to fight on a day-to-day -day basis. So with your training program, do you think it has been effective? And how do you measure that effectiveness? You can measure your effective training by looking at spikes in reporting, right? So if you put out a training related to conflicts of interest 
and you start to notice that your ethics line or your email or in person, you're getting questions related to conflicts of interest, you are able to see that people are taking the training seriously and it's, it's sparking questions within them to say, oh, wait, I thought this was appropriate. It's not, let me go to compliance, right? You know, you get those situations where you do your general compliance training and you benchmark it to your past years, you benchmark it to previous quarters where there was no training and you see a decline in case reports, right? You then have to ask yourself, what's going on within the organization that I just put out a training where it should have sparked and you know, opened up kind of some concerns within employees in the organization and you didn't really get anything, right? Because that's the idea of training. We're going to touch about touch on topics and kind of re-engage you on issues that we want you to look for. But if you're not, if employees aren't re-engaging, then the question is, is your training actually effective? And if it's not effective, what are you going to do to adjust it? And I, I will say, fortunately for me, I have seen those increases in reporting and the spikes after I put out specific trainings. I would, I would couple that with saying, if I didn't see that, I would have to go back to the drawing board, especially since everything is remote and digital to identify what's the gap between my training that typically is online mm -hmm. to this new reality that we're having where yes, even though it's virtual, right? Why is that not effective like it usually is? Mm -hmm. And it could be a number of reasons, right? People may be getting sick of just doing everything online and they may just be trying to just click through as opposed to normal when they have more face-to-face -face interactions. There's a number of reasons and this, this new world kind of creates a lot of um, you know, new possibilities that you'll have to think through. One thing we've recently implemented um, in our software is uh, you can deploy trainings and then deploy a corresponding survey to all, all of your users on the training. So you can you know, be asking questions and get, trying to get a little more insight into if they found it was effective or what they learned or if they have feedback for how it could be better. Yeah, and that's, that's, a, I mean, that's an amazing tool, right? And uh, as many of us know with the new DOJ guidelines, right, regarding program effectiveness and the compliance program, that's a, that's a new update, right? Testing your training for effectiveness. Mm -hmm. And a survey, a survey is a great way to test effectiveness. And that's something that, uh, you know, based on the update back in the summer for, for the DOJ um, document and guidelines, sorry, um, you know, that's on my work plan for next year, which is testing the effectiveness of these trainings. And it'll be interesting to see spiking cases, but the survey to get really feedback from individuals to really understand, you know, if there's something I think that I think should work well, isn't working well amongst the staff within the organization. Awesome. That'll be, I'm waiting to hear uh, how that works for your work plan. So let's talk about changes in reporting. Due to the changes, do you think it has affected reporting and how so? You know, I, I hate to really focus on kind of the same issue, but really the inability to really just have those water cooler conversations, right? Don't get me wrong, um, you know, these applications like Teams and Skype and Zoom and being able to quickly ping someone is great, but it's just not the same as just seeing someone and being able to ask them the question, right? There's just, there's just that difference of the in-person interaction. I've heard through a number of colleagues and I, I'm talking a good sample size. I've been, I've been really curious and trying to understand, you know, where we line up and stack up 
throughout you know other organizations and a lot of people are seeing a slowdown of reporting right and it'll be interesting to see you know different organizations come out with different benchmark um, reports on how many cases have been reported you know in the type of industry i'm mean, very curious to see from a 2020 perspective comparing it to 2019 in the second third and fourth quarter how much reporting has decreased based on the fact that the pandemic siloed individuals and really has taken away that, um, you know, connectivity with human um, interaction. Let's talk about issues and reporting issues. Um, so right now during COVID and everyone being remote, is it harder to conduct follow on any reported issues? And are your investigations remote or what are you doing? No, I've been in organizations where it's a one building, everyone's housed inside the building, and you kind of know everyone. And I'm currently in an organization that's international. Um, I think for my current role, it is a lot easier for me to conduct an investigation because that's our culture, right? I may have to interview someone in a different state. I may have to interview someone, uh, you know, in a different country. It really just depends on the issue. So we've kind of we've kind of developed that culture where it's commonplace for us to reach out and really have that um, follow-up, right? But at the same time, there's situations where, you know, uh, a case presents itself as being very serious and having a remote conversation, you know, with an entire department, you know, one by one really isn't as effective, but we're in this new reality where it has to happen. Fortunately, I haven't had an issue pop up like that where I'm, you know, challenged in a way where it would be difficult to have a conversation and investigation that way. Um, but I really just think it depends on your organization and your organization size, right? If you're at a standalone hospital and yes, you may be remote, but your ability to speak with people, it may be a lot easier to connect with as opposed to you know, uh, multi-state, multi-country organization, and really kind of gathering stakeholders who are involved in the investigation. So, um, you know, it, it, it comes with both good and bad. I think it just really depends on the size of the issue and, you know, your ability to really identify and keep track and follow up with all the stakeholders involved. And like investigations, has remote auditing and monitoring changed or has that been mostly the same? Yeah, I think it, uh, once again, I think it depends on the type of auditing and monitoring, right? There's some audits that kind of require you to shadow a stakeholder within the organization, right? So I think of the life science world and, you know, the sales, sales teams, right? Very common practice is to um, do like a sales team ride along. You know, I think it just depends on the type of audit that you're performing. Um, you know, if, if an audit has really been based more on shadow um, agenda, I think that obviously is going to be a bit more difficult. I've had to adjust our audit with that related to, you know, not being in person and doing it virtually. Um, you know, obviously effectiveness is going to be different and your ability to really dive in into the monitoring is a, a different level when you're in person as opposed to like a Zoom remote shadow. Um, so I think it depends. And obviously there's, you know, there's your audits where you're really just pulling data and going through data and contracts. You're looking at, you know, codes and billing and that can be done remote and it's typically done remote or, you know, within your office outside of the pandemic days. So that may not change. 
Um, no, it just depends on the type of audit and making sure that if there is an audit that needs that interaction, trying to adapt to make sure that you're still finding ways to continue to monitor and audit that, you know, that function. So that's the first time I've heard uh, the term Zoom shadow audit. Can you talk a little bit more, more about that? What does that look like? Well, I mean, so essentially, if you're, if you're trying to understand, let's take, for example, you know, your sales team, right? Like you may have an audit within your organization to make sure that the sales team is following policies, right? They're, they're having appropriate conversations and there's nothing that would stick out that would lead you to think that there is a potential inducement, right? Mm -hmm. Typically these audits are done in person, right? You're, you're a standard observer, you'll follow them, you'll sit, them in, you'll sit with them in the car, ride along and you know, follow them. In today's world, that's, it's not possible. So what you do is when they're having their interactions, right? If it's a office meal, if it's office visit, whatever the case may be, you're just joining the Zoom call and you're observing from a, a virtual standpoint. Um, which, which is really just so different compared to what is standard. But, you know, as we evolve with this new reality, you know, you're kind of trying to come up with solutions to kind of figure out how do I keep monitoring and auditing functions that are continuing to, you know, do what they do, right, and not leave the organization susceptible to any risk. Right. Are there any other elements that were affected that you'd like to touch on? Yeah, I think it kind of goes back just full circle to what we talked about in the beginning, right? The risk assessment. So it's been almost a year and now I'm gearing up to do my risk assessment in a new COVID reality, right? Where everything has been closed down. So, you know, really planning on understanding this new type of risk assessment that I'm going to have to do where everything is just remote conversations and making sure every stakeholder that I meet with I haven't met with before that understands the process, understands my intentions and the goal of what I'm trying to do, right? And making sure that, you know, if you're going to conduct a risk assessment, you know, just understand that's going to be a different feeling and make sure that you actually plan, right? What are the steps that you're planning on taking, right? Remember, going back to this, the beginning of the conversation, everyone seems to be in meetings all day now. Right. If you're trying to get your risk assessment out, like you've got to really think about times and schedules and making sure you give yourself enough time to put people on the calendar and that if there needs to be a follow up conversation, right, any additional documentation, like, there's just a number of things that you got to work through. But, you know, it, I, I would say the most important thing right now is planning when it comes to the risk assessment. And that's probably my best advice. Well, this has been really insightful, Ahmed. Um... I really appreciate your time and insight, and um, I look forward to um, to our, our next conversation. Are there any other little notes you'd like to end the show on? No, I think uh, obviously we're all dealing with these challenges, right? And I think, mm -hmm. you know, I've been trying to speak to colleagues throughout the country in different organization types to kind of understand and learn more about how people are adjusting. We're trying to understand and learn some tips that others have found helpful within their program. So I, I can say that's, that's been helpful and it's really been helpful to understand and learn that, um, you know, everyone's facing these challenges, right? You're not alone um, just because, you know, you're remote and you feel like the program may be out of touch or people aren't reporting or you're not getting the visibility you typically would be getting. 
um, you know, that's not abnormal, right? Every department is feeling that everyone is kind of working towards trying to get, um, you know, what they need to, to get done in this just alt reality. That's just, just different. Yeah. I'm really excited that we can have the forum here to share some of those, you know, things that you've learned from colleagues and trying to um, open up the conversation a little more in the compliance world. Everyone, thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening to Think Compliance. Please join us for our next podcast. Also, if you're interested in being a guest on our podcast, please reach out to us. We are on Twitter at thinkcomply. And for any questions, comments, etc., you can also email us at info at compliatric.com.